0: Shirley, that radio chick here with you. Welcome to the Still Rocking Podcast, where we'll have news, reviews and interviews with some of our favourite Australian musicians and artists. Today I share a Zoom chat I had recently with adopted South Australian from Newcastle, Mr Dave Gleeson, frontman of two iconic Aussie bands, the Screaming Jets and the Angels. As the Screaming Jets celebrate the 30th anniversary of their All For One album, we talked to Dave about the early days with the Jets, who he dearly love to collaborate with, which supermodels need he sat on, and what's next. What's Dave Gleason been up to lately? Let's find out.
1: Hello, hello. How are you going, darling?
0: Yeah, pretty good, thanks. It's a year since we spoke here, actually, so... Have we both just become too lazy
1: to leave the house? <laughs> I definitely have become a hermit over the last 18 months. I mean, I was was going away the seven years before the thing happened. I was away more than I was home as far as weekends were concerned. I'd, I'd probably have three or four weekends at home. So you just kind of, whenever you get home, you've got to do stuff. Oh, I've got that to do, I've got that to do. Then you've got nothing to do. You're like, I'll do it another time. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: is it that we're lazy or have we just got our pyjama bottoms on? <laughs>
1: I've got my pyjama bottoms From the on. waist down. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like a newsreader. Anyway. Yeah, that's so right. Today it's all about the Screaming Jets and the celebration of the album's 30 years, all for one. Does it feel that long ago?
1: Um a lot of water has passed under the bridge, obviously. Um, one of those things, like I just talking about before, I was always looking forward, you always, you know, next gig, got a tour coming up, going there, going here, got an album coming out, etc. But over the last 18 months, you get to a chance to look back and you start to think, wow, so many things have happened since that album came out. Yet still, I remember vividly so many things about the recording of the album and, and the time that we spent doing it, you know, back in King's Cross in the day. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an ama- amazing that I can still remember stuff now. <laughs>
0: That's right, actually, because it was only two years prior in 89 in Newcastle that you got together with Brad and Richard and Grant and Paul and Form. So just two years later to have such a fabulously successful album. Did it feel like a bit of a whirlwind at the time?
1: Yeah, well, definitely, because, uh, as you say, we'd we'd all come from bands. Uh, Myself and Grant had been in a band for three or four years prior to the Jets. Paulie, our bass player, Paulie Rosoon, he'd been in a band for... I don't know, maybe six or seven years by that stage. He started when he was 15. Richie was only 19. He'd been in one band. Brad had been in a moderately successful band called DV8, who were very big around Newcastle. And so we kind of made the decision that we were going to move on from that cover band kind of perception of Newcastle and take it wherever it went. But none of us had ever had any type of deal before no publishing deals and never had any contact with record companies whatsoever uh, before it all happened. So, yeah, so once it started happening, we won the Battle of the Bands, we got to go into a great studio with Steve James, then record companies started getting interested. I wouldn't know Michael Godinski if I fell over him or Chris Murphy or any of those guys. I, I didn't care. That's why I quite readily pissed them off in the early days because I didn't know who they were.
0: <laughs> Easily done here. Who?
1: who cares who? I'm here. <laughs> tell everyone I'm here. Um, so by 1990 we'd signed on the 1st of May 1990 we signed our first record contract and then I think it was uh, March or April 91 that the album came out and off we went
0: <laughs> so you've all sort of had some experience in other bands before when you started playing as the Jets did you Feel that it was different? Did you feel that that magic was happening, or did it sort of just come on organically?
1: Well, that's when the creativity really started. Uh, once we were in there, I mean, obviously, we kind of told people we were a band, um, and then we started booking gigs and stuff. So, a part of our set was made up of of covers, but the creativity of of re- creating songs together and spend as much time as we could rehearsing. So that we could bring new song, uh, our own songs, into the set. So that's when that kind of whole period of us just spending all our time together, writing, playing, rehearsing, was uh, it was just so instrumental in us kind of forming that kind of bond that, that lasted. Um, I mean, between me, Grant, and Paul, lasted probably till two thousand seven, with a bit of a break. Uh, somewhere in there But yeah It was kind of That's what what, what Set us on that path To knowing that, that We had some type of formula In there That we could Create our own music
0: I think we need to play Some of that music Right now Let's listen now To the Official lead single From their Debut studio album All for one Certified gold This is the new version On the 30th anniversary album I'll be speaking to Dave Please And again After this What's, what's all this about? Your first performance as the Screaming Jets was as the love bomb? The love
1: bombs. The love bombs it was. Now, uh, now I was living across the road from the hotel we played at. It was called the Marcus Lawn. We played there in my first band aspect. We played there. Sometimes we played there Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. It was like nuts. It was our pub, right? So when the Jets started off, we still knew the owner. It was only probably six months after after Aspects had broken up that, um, you know, we, we were ready to do our first gig. It was at the time, so it was 1989, so there was a lot of the old um, uh, pill-popping going <laughs> on, let's say, and that's what we called it the Love Bombs for because it was going uh, to be just mad. Uh, it was like uh, a mad party. It sounds you know? like
0: a... Porn movie, <laughs> like a 70s <laughs> porn movie. <laughs>
1: yeah, so uh, it, there was a lot of people there in, in a wasted state, so that's yeah. kind of that uh-huh. was just a, a name to have because I don't think we'd settled on the Screaming Jets at that stage, but, yeah, it was uh, just a one-off experience. <laughs> we we're never going to call it long-term.
0: No. Credit to you all for your very first album to have such a successful album. Mm-hmm. peaked at number two on the ARIA charts Single Better, one of my favourites, as you probably know. Number four on the ARIA Singles charts. And then following two other top 40 singles, Stop the World and Shine On. Were you surprised at all at the success? Because you did do the hard yards. It's not like you were overnight successes, really. But were you expecting such a great album?
1: We were stoked with how it came out. Um, Steve James was... Just amazing for us. And Dave Price, who was the knob twiddler, Uh, They were were very experienced and we were extremely inexperienced. I mean, we'd never undertaken recording an album before, so they kind of guided us through it. But yeah, I mean, the 18 months leading up to that, we supported everyone. We supported John Brewster and Alan Lancaster in the Bombers. Uh, We supported the Radiators. We supported the Choir Boys. We supported the the Divinals. And we were just... And any time we weren't supporting bands, we were out there playing anyway. So we, we kind of... We were very lucky to get in front of those crowds that those guys had that were such still really loyal and strong fan bases at that stage. So we thought as long as we get our, the sound right on the album, which we were all very happy with at the end of it, that we knew that, you know, we could we could proudly get out there and start headlining our own shows, you know. But um, as for the success that Better had, and we weren't expecting to be on Hey Hey three times or four times in two years or something like that, that was unreal. We were ready to take it on if it went off, you know.
0: I'm waiting for my purple vinyl copy. Waiting very excitedly for it to arrive.
1: Have a look at this. This is the original polygram.
0: That's like a collector's item now. It's an antique. And, and
1: is, we did a limited run of cassettes for the all one That's the difference. Yeah. It's on blue. It's blue. Plastic. Now it's on <laughs> yeah, yeah. purple.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, you didn't notice my T-shirt.
1: I loved your t shirt. Yeah, it's fantastic. Unreal. Unreal. I mean, that was the first artwork that ever came out for the Jets, Connect with the Jets, and that was the first thing that they did. So, Acme t shirts, that was the first t shirt that they ever did for us. They they signed us on for 200,000 bucks for um, merchandising as an advance. No, it wasn't like we went, right, 40 grand each. It was just like it got. Got sucked up in the big machine. Two songs off off the first album that I wrote, Come On and Stop the World, ended up on, uh, on a big Hollywood movie. Well, you'd think it'd be a big Hollywood movie. It had John Johnson and what's the other guy's name, who looks terrible now, who's in the restaurant, like Mickey Rourke.
0: Oh, it's yeah. Just,
1: I mean, they both come off like blockbuster movies and they say, oh, they're doing a movie together, it can't fail. So we licensed them, come on and stop the world. And it was a movie called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. It's diabolical. It bombed. Oh, terrible. Instead of being on Forrest Gump or something, or one of the movies around, could have been on Terminator too, like uh, Guns N' Roses, but no, Harley Davidson, Marlboro Man.
0: You would have thought with those two and Harley and Marlboro, you were on a winning thing
1: you got people smoking, riding around on motorbikes, dancing with wolves and wrestling.
0: What more could <laughs> they want? <laughs> Let's hear one of those songs now from that big flop of a movie. Opening track of the Awful One album, Come On, written by Dave Blesham and Jessica Lara. After the success of the record, you guys went to the UK for a couple of years.
1: After releasing the first album, we toured here a bit. And then we went over to the UK, uh, and Europe and toured with a band called Thunder, who were kind of quite a big band. They were pulling 5,000 people a night in big town halls and beautiful places all through UK and Europe. And then from there, we went over to the States, embarked on another kind of round the country tour with a band called Kicks, and they pulled the pin quite early. But anyway, we kind of, we spent like, uh, two and a half years coming back doing some recording going back over and trying to trying to keep the uh the wheels turning overseas unfortunately between the first album and the second album our international distributor changed so the first world tour that we did we got in front of all these big people from around the world who loved the band by FRC and then we went back overseas uh, the next time and we'd changed all the people that we'd met and all the contacts that we'd made previously were null and void. And we had to do it all again. By that time, we were kind of a tainted band. We'd already had to go around with Polygram and that hadn't worked. So here we were on Warners and it kind of tailed off. Partly because of that, partly because of relationships, partly and mostly because of money. need a lot of money to keep touring overseas.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: So had we had a hit earlier over there, that obviously would have fed into stuff happening like that, but um, it's luck of the draw, I guess.
0: Exactly. I was just about to say, a lot of it is just luck, isn't it, being in the right place sometimes. At the right time.
1: Yeah, look, I'm a big footy fan, and I know guys who played their whole career, never even played in a grand final, let alone won one. But they've been first grade players all their lives. Just, right, guys. That's why I'm sticking at it. That's why I got a footy jumper on. I <laughs> want to get out there and win a grand final.
0: It's good for us, for the Aussies, to have you back in Australia with us. That's no consolation, but
1: <laughs> look, we are. We're, I'm extremely happy and proud of, of you know everything that we've achieved, and would it would have been nice to you know. To to succeed overseas, just stick our Aussie brand of rock in people's faces. But um, having said that, you never know what lies around the corner, you know. And and, and being able to to play in Australia for thirty years and uh, and continue to put out albums and stuff was an awesome achievement. So it sure is. Some of them. Nice. That one up, that one up there is the very first gold record I ever got for All for One.
0: You're a bit uh, proud of that. You should
1: I be. Re- I can still remember getting it in the boardroom at, at the record company and, you know, all I was spewing about is that I didn't have a dove to, to bite the head off and throw on the record. <laughs> Take <laughs> that from Ozzy Osborne.
0: <laughs> it has been a great ride and it still is. There was two tear of thought, the Screaming Jets, World Gone Crazy, Scam, Do Your Chrome and the recent one got you covered and, of course, this special edition. Is there anything else recording-wise for the Jets? Can you give us a scoop?
1: Yeah, definitely. We've been obviously coming to terms with recording like this. There's nothing like getting five blokes smoking and drinking and carrying on in a room to record songs. Uh, Not that I smoke. But the fact that uh, we've been able to do it remotely and it's come out sounding brilliant because of the work of Steve James and Scott Kingman, they've been just brilliant getting it all together and making it sound like we are in a room together. But because we're kind of embracing the new technology, I think we've got a, we've got one song completely done and we've got about six or eight beds of songs down and Cam McGlinchy's going into the studio in the next couple of weeks to bang some more down. So next year as things roll on and we'll be able to get it together in rooms with each other and stuff like that, that's definitely what we're working on is, is getting together a brand new album but. We've been saying it for the last couple of years but um, events have conspired against us and we're a rock and roll band, not a fucking corporation. So yeah. it'll come in when it comes out. But, yeah. but So it's definitely in the works. Always wanting to get in there. And it'd be nice to at least have done 10 studio albums. I mean, we've done well in excess of 10 albums with the live albums yeah. and stuff like that. But I'd love to do, and then bring out a box set.
0: Good marketing plans. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Best laid plans of nice and men. <laughs> That's
0: right. covid permitting, of course, a tour to go with that.
1: Yes, well, unfortunately um, for the first half, well, not unfortunately, well, depends who you talk to. The other guys in the Jets aren't all that happy about it, but a lot of the tours that got postponed from Mm. 2020, they just got pushed back to when they could start. So the Angels are taking up the first half of next year, except for probably a a bit of time through January, February, we'll do some Jets shows. And then July, the all-for-one tour kicks off, a year late
0: Better late than Three never
1: years. That's right That's
0: right <laughs> We will play another song from the All For One album 30th Anniversary Edition But we've been talking about the Angels Let's hear the Jets' great cover of Shadow Boxer Which is from their Got gotcha You Covered album More with Dave Gleason Lead singer of the Screaming Jets And the Angels And Dave and Crafty <laughs> After this in the last 30-plus years, you've been interviewed literally thousands and thousands of times. You've even interviewed other musicians like Farnsey. If you see him, tell him I'd like to interview him. Uh, Don, no McLean. <laughs> Don McLean. Don McLean. Yeah. You must have had every question imaginable thrown at you. Firstly, what's the strangest question you've ever been asked?
1: Um, could I come back to your house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Secondly, is there a question that you just wish someone would ask you? Because I'll do
1: it. Really, I mean, I I don't like talking about my personal life. But as far as rocks concerned, I mean, I've I've answered them all. If I think of one, I'll let you know.
0: We know that. You love your country music as well. Do you have a secret guilty pleasure that you like to listen to? Like is Achy Breaky Heart your uh, secret favourite song or do you like to secretly listen to Taylor Swift or something?
1: No, I do love listening to Taylor Swift. We love Tay-Tay in this house. I bet. Uh, we Are Never Getting Back Together it would yeah. possibly be my favourite song of hers. But Maroon 5, I love songs about Jane. Is that what it's called? i put that album yeah. on every now and again, just every track. I love it. I think uh, not only can Adam Levine sing, but he's quite the old spade man I've heard over there in... <laughs> L.A. Yeah, he's, he's a bit uh, of a he's spunk. Put, he's put a few away, I've heard. <laughs> respect, massive respect.
0: <laughs> That's not a guilty pleasure, though. That I'll give you that one. That's uh, no worries.
1: That. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, good Charlotte as well. I, I love the songs those guys write. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd never be a... Because they use a bit of auto-tuning and stuff like that, but they're good songs. They write a good, poppy, fun rock song.
0: Yeah, they sure do. You have collaborated with many many people and some with some great people on stage. But is there anybody that you haven't collaborated with that you'd really, really
1: like to? Look, I'd love to do a song. I've always loved Barnsley and In Excess doing Good Time for the uh, Australian Maid concert uh, promotion. Such a Uh, classic. It it is such a classic. We recorded at Rhinosophis probably only 18 months, two years after. Um, So I'd love to do a, a full rock song with Barnsley uh, along the lines of, of something a classic Australian, you know, maybe an Akadaka song or something like that, like a whole lot of Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be good. Uh, but I'd love to do, have, a, have a sing with Barndy. I've been very lucky to, as you say, I've sung with Susie Q many times, which is a huge one, sung with Michael Hutchins once. Didn't um, you sit on but, his lap? So I, no, I sat on Helena Christensen's lap because he, uh, he had a busted ankle or leg at the time. And he, go, and he goes, come over here, man, come over here. And I go, oh, yeah, he goes, sit down, sit down. And there, there's like people everywhere. He goes, sit here. And he just pats. Helene Christensen. I just sit on it like, sorry, line. How are you going? this Dave, you know. so Yeah, great memories, great memories.
0: Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> well, I think that's a fabulous idea. You two, you know, lead singer of The Screaming Jets and The Angels, lead singer of Cold Chisel, playing Akadaka. I'll get I'll my people it. to speak so, to these yeah, people. We need our
1: people speaking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think that's a plan. I'll buy that. What is the most useless
1: talent that you have? Oh, the most useless talent that I have? Oh, my kids would tell you lots of stuff. There's <laughs> oh,
0: there's one. <laughs>
1: there's Z Boy. The u- most useless talent that I have? Um, I can stack about 20 <laughs> coins for you and catch them catch like them.
0: That. <laughs> I remember we used to do that at school.
1: And I can play the spoons. I'm a very good spoon player. So, uh, <laughs> it rarely comes up at parties or at jams, but...
0: I, I don't know why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> People say, have you got a harmonica, yeah, yeah. Got any spoons? No." Nah.
0: As I mentioned, we spoke here actually about a year ago, and I advise you of a major, major omission in your Wikipedia information. Right. It's still not fixed.
1: What's that? The 12 <laughs> years old in the nude.
0: Oh no, I didn't see that bit. <laughs> it actually mentions that you know your bass player Paul was seen released an acoustic solo album on B.O. Right. Yeah, yeah, it still does not mention. The Dave Gleeson
1: Wanted Man that's, album. That's a secret album. That's only Is for it? those in the know. <laughs> oh! <laughs>
0: no,
1: no, it's um. I'll, I'll have to get that fixed. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of that album, even though it uh it made very little impression. But uh, everywhere I go, people will mention songs off it. So we sold a bunch online, and and I sold them out of uh out of the car boot and paid all the tax on them the year. I was going to redo it, re-release it, but, you know, once again, it, it's hard to find any time to tour anything outside of the Jets or the Angels and everything's kind of been geared towards that.
0: You are a very busy man. I love it. I play it on the air all the time. Oh, I'm surprised you, you haven't had, you know, been bombarded with requests for a re-release <laughs> because i played
1: it so much. Oh, thank you very kindly for that. Yeah, it's, uh, I, yeah it was uh, great to do. I've been planning to do another one for years. As I say, the Angels and the Jets, because I've been with the Angels 10 years. Jets got back on the road seven years ago. So it's all kind of, yeah, all geared to that. I've still got books. I'm no good with recording myself. I haven't got a computer to record myself, so I do it all on this and it sounds terrible. So then I'll play it to people go, what do you think of this? They go, "Ah, Uh,
0: ah." Back to the drawing board.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like showing someone a sketch of a car and then that car turning out to be a GTHO. (laughs) Like, here's what it's going to look like. I've I've got to pull my finger out, get on board with the tech.
0: It's fabulous to be celebrating this wonderful album, especially Purple. But more importantly, <laughs> when are you and Crafty at the Gov next?
1: Uh, we're at the Gov 13th of November. This time <laughs> it's going to be all British bangers. We're putting together a list right now of the best of British.
0: Excellent. I'm going to write that down. 13th, did you say?
1: 13th. It's a Saturday, yes. Yeah. Because I've got Angels gigs, I've got the 16th of December at the Gov with the Angels. I've got the ASO thing with the Angels on the 3rd of December. And we're doing a show on the 19th of November at the Bridgeway. It's called The Boys Are Stuck in Town... It's uh, Rob Riley, uh, myself, Vincenz from Zet Boys, Stewie from from Super Jesus, Dave from Almost Human, very well-known South Australian band, I'm led to believe, and Wheels, Paul Wheeler playing drums from Icehouse, so it'll be a bit of a hoot and uh, hopefully we get a good crowd there.
0: Well, we're going to sell it out because I'm interviewing Vince in a couple of days and Rock on. Robert, R- and R- Riley. Robert <laughs> Riley as well. Right on and, great. Yeah, and Stewie as well. So I said, oh, let's cool. uh, get this out there and get it sold out. It just looks like a fabulous
1: concept. It looks like the Party Boys. I mean, remember the Party Boys? Yeah. They weren't. They weren't just some um, stupid throwaway thing they were legitimate guys who were off the road that's where the party boys started paul christie started going right you're off the road you're off the road we'll do a band we'll play just whatever and it became massive their albums throughout the 80s and 70s and 80s were huge so people loved them so you know a huge i think shows like this are unreal they're just great fun and you get a little bit of everything
0: oh i can't wait i think i must have been number one ticket holder. Rock on. I'll also see you at, is it at Wayville at the showground while you're doing the ASO? Where yeah, is the it?
1: ASO. Uh, I think it's, I, was, I thought it was Elder Park, but then someone told me it's at uh, the showgrounds.
0: Yeah, it's somewhere outdoors. Anyway, front row, I'll see you. I'll give you a wave. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting to us today. We're going to play a few songs from the album now the 30th anniversary, all for one. So all the best with that, Dave, and I'll see you at the Gov or the Showgrounds or no the Bridgeway or all of the above very soon. No worries.
1: Cannot wait, Charlie. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. You're looking great in a Jet shirt, I've got to tell you.
0: You know what? Oz Music T-shirt day is coming up for Support Act and I'm a fundraiser coordinator for Support Act, SA. So I think two years ago I did 20 T-shirts.
1: Right, yeah. Last yeah.
0: year I did... 30 something t shirts. So I got all my t shirts out last night and I put 49 t shirts on. No. I was like this. We ripped them all off, and I've never worn a fangirl t shirt for an interview before. Perfect. I thought, I never get to wear that. I'm going to wear that tomorrow.
1: Absolutely perfect.
0: Thank you. Ta-da. All right,
1: see, ya. see you soon.
0: We're going to finish off with FRC, quite a controversial track written by bass player Paul Wassin. A.K.A. Fat Rich. So, if you're a little bit sensitive, it's time to turn the podcast off. And I'll see you next time.
1: apologise for the extremely crude nature of the following lyric.
0: You're with Cheryl Lee, that radio chick. Thank you so much for joining me on the Still Rocking It podcast. Hope to catch you again next time. Get out when you can, support Aussie Music, and I'll see you down the front.